You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It is time. It is time. They can't be the Packers. Are you crazy? By the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Lane. Mm, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, fantastic Packers win over the Dolphins. Well, pretty funny game. I still have not watched the whole thing. I saw bits and pieces, but I was very busy with family stuff during the game. Gonna have to go back and watch the whole thing later on uh, Game Pass, or I guess they're calling it NFL Plus now. Um, I did on. On No Huddle Radio on Friday, I did pick the Packers to lose this game. However, by the time of kickoff, I had completely talked myself into the advantage that the Packers had going into this game. Uh, I think we learned a lot about the team. The biggest thing being the dynamic or you know the, the power balance, I guess, between the offense and defense. A little bit different than, I guess, where my head was at coming into this game. I I think the defense, just mathematically, you have to acknowledge that the defense is a little bit better than what we have been saying it is. And the offense still struggles at times. And I saw just a a total disconnect. I think that this is part of the benefit of not sitting down and just watching the entire thing along with some of you guys on Christmas Day. Is that I was not caught up in the emotional roller coaster. Um, and so there were a bunch of folks on Twitter saying, like, we need to fire Joe Barry. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, guys, 20 points. The Dolphins scored 20 points. Rams scored 12. Bears scored 19. Look, I know the 40 point game to the Eagles was really recent and it still feels really real and painful. But the defense has been, honestly, since the second half of the Bears game, I think the defense has been pretty darn good. Now, I know Tua had a lot of yards, but it didn't translate into anything. And uh, Ryan, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but Ryan had a fantastic thread on Twitter talking about just how good the Packers' defense has been in the fourth quarter. Go check out his uh, Twitter thread. It's the one he quote tweeted it and said, this is the Packers' third fourth quarter shutout in a row. The last team to score in the fourth was the Eagles, who scored six points. The other thing that I saw on Twitter that, um, I guess there's there's a lot of things we're going to be talking about today that are me responding to, <laughs> to dumb stuff on Twitter. The other thing I saw on Twitter was that, Aaron Rodgers has been playing way better ever since Jordan Love came in in that Eagles game. And just like on the surface, I thought oh, that probably feels right. Man, I wonder if if like people calling for Love to get playing time has like pushed and motivated Rodgers to play better. Dug into the numbers. 
there's nothing here at all. <laughs> Not even close. I, I put a poll on Twitter. I said, without looking at the numbers, do you think Aaron Rodgers has played better, worse, or the same since Jordan Love played nine snaps against the Eagles? 58% of people said he played better, and then another 32% said the same. Just 9.7% said he has played worse. He has played basically exactly the same. So I went through, for the first seven weeks of the season, Aaron was kind of bad. Uh, so starting in week eight, this is the Buffalo game. You have Buffalo, Detroit, which I think was, I, I would consider his worst game of the year. I think Washington, he had a lower grade. But starting from Buffalo on, I think that he has played much better football. So this there's a five-week stretch here from Buffalo, Detroit, Dallas, Tennessee, Philadelphia that encompasses like the good 2022 Aaron Rodgers prior to Jordan Love getting some playing time. During that time, Rodgers had a 77.4 grade. That's 15th best in the NFL. I compared his grades and stats from that five-week span to the three games he's played since then. Chicago, LA, Miami. So I'm going to go through item by item. PFF grade, 77.4, 15th best to 71.4 18th best so grade went down just a little bit 61.5 completion percentage that went up to 64.6 percent completions previously 7.3 yards per attempt down to 6.6 yards per attempt that is a bigger difference I don't know exactly what to attribute that to because the completion percentage went up. The yards per attempt went down. So that to me says that they're taking fewer shots downfield. And, you know, if you're looking at the uh, LA game and then even I think to an extent, the Miami game certainly feels true. So maybe, maybe that's just part of it. Somebody smarter than me probably can look at that and, and draw a much more sophisticated conclusion. But uh, for the five games, uh, he was 10 touchdowns, six interceptions. Over the last three games, three touchdowns, two interceptions. So that actually has changed dramatically. You go from two touchdowns per game down to one touchdown per game and just a little over one interception per game down to a little under one interception a game. I don't have any idea what to attribute this to other than a little bit more of a, a uh, leaning on the run because Rogers passing attempts have gone up. So for the five game stretch, uh, 30 attempts, 43 attempts, 20 attempts, 39 attempts, 16 attempts. Then he jumps up to 31, 30, 38 over the three-game stretch. Many more passing attempts. So it's a little bit interesting to me that the touchdowns and interceptions have gone down as he's been passing more. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, let's see. Big-time throws compared to turnover-worthy plays. This one is something I'm always interested to see from, like, any quarterback because I think that it maybe tells you more than just – touchdowns and interceptions and, and uh, because it includes the big plays that don't get cashed in 
and it includes the st- things that should be picks or fumbles that are not. So through the five-game stretch, 12 big-time throws compared to three big-time throws for the three-game stretch. So that uh, percentage went down a bit. He was averaging um, over two big-time throws per game. Now he's down to one big-time throw per game. Turnover-worthy plays, he was just over one per game. At six turnover-worthy plays in five games. The turnover-worthy plays has gone up as a percentage four in the last three games compared to six in the previous five games. So that I would say that this is a little bit of an indication that he's playing slightly worse. Now across the board, as we're going through all the the stats, some of them are better. Some of them are worse. So I think you have to kind of, you know, rank them and and determine, okay, does the uh, uh, completion percentage going up, affect my opinion more than the overall offensive grade, the big time throws and turnover worthy plays, the yards per attempt, the touchdown to interception ratio. I think he's playing a little bit worse. Uh, the, the, the other thing I looked at was drops and sacks because one thing you might point to, if you think that Rogers is playing better or worse is the play of the guys around him. So in terms of drops, he had eight drops in the five-game stretch and then five drops in the three-game stretch. So as a percentage, the drops are slightly up, but you're talking about the difference of essentially just one drop total. And he was sacked nine times during the five games. He's had five sacks in the last three games. So again, you're talking about the difference of about one drop and about one sack total. I think the big-time throw and turnover-worthy play and touchdown interception, I think all of that is a little more relevant to me than the couple of stats where you'd point to and say that he is a little bit better or that he is not being helped quite as much by the people around him. Now, a couple of the things I looked at. Time to throw. So Roger's time to throw all year has not been great. During that five-game stretch, he was at a 2.84, which is... A, about average. He's down to 2.92. Now that is tied with Patrick Mahomes and it is slightly better than Josh Allen. However, nobody else in this last three game stretch who you would consider like a, a good passer is getting the ball out that slowly. All right. Any, anybody else who's down in that area are like, you know, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, uh, uh, Zach Wilson. All right. Th- those, th- that's the company that, that those guys are keeping. So I'm not going to read into it too much because again, Holmes and Allen are both there. I think when you got three of the best quarterbacks in the game, all hovering and right around the same, you know, same area, I'm not going to single Aaron out for like a ton of criticism there. You do want to see a faster time to throw than 2.92, but you would say the same for Mahomes and Allen as well. So, um, the total team offense has improved from the five-game stretch to this most recent three-game stretch from 21.4 points per game to 26 points per game. Interestingly, if you're wondering if it's just a more prolific offense overall, if you look at passing yards per game, you know we're not factoring in rushing because the rushing really has been the big difference. 
over the totality of the three-game stretch compared to the five-game stretch. Passing yards per game for the first five games, 217. It has dropped to 216.3. Less than a yard difference. So, yeah. Bottom line, there's like nothing here to the narrative that he's been playing better since the Jordan Love game. I don't think that he's been playing noticeably worse. I think his stats are down a little bit, and you can attribute some of that to a better performance in the rushing game, so I'm not mad about it. But if someone tries to tell you that he's playing better, it's nonsense. Okay, so Nathaniel Hackett got fired today. A little bit uh, sad and a little bit embarrassing. He's the fifth head coach since the NFL merger in 1970 to not finish his first season. The other four guys, Urban Meyer last year, Bobby Petrino in 2007, Pete McCauley in 1978, and Lou Holtz in 1976. Not a good look for Hackett, but I would say also not a good look for the Broncos. Now, I'm not saying that they needed to retain him. I don't think Hackett was doing a good job. But, I mean, the Broncos have not looked like a competent organization in a while. And, you know, they're, they are being sold or have been sold. I'm not keeping up on it. I don't know exactly when the new owners take over or took over. I don't really care. I think as a Broncos fan, you are really hoping to see some substantial change there in Denver from the top down. I think the Broncos are a bad organization. Uh, they they are frustrating from every angle. They reek of desperation and mismanagement constantly. And I'm I'm sad for Hackett. Um, I think he's a good guy. I did not ever think he was a great head coach candidate, um, but I've always liked him. I wish him well. Um, obviously, people are going to immediately start talking about bringing him back to Green Bay. I think the problem with that is that Adam Stenovich has not earned a firing. So you have a hard time just taking away Steno's job when uh, I, I I don't think he deserves to get fired. So I don't really see Hackett coming back here, but it's absolutely a conversation worth having and an interesting one to have. Um, Elton Jenkins got paid as well. And no, this is not a news show. Like, yes, you already know that Elton got paid. Um, here's the big thing, though. Elton got paid as a guard. You look at the money he got. He is the second highest paid guard in the league. Now, I had some bozos coming at me on Twitter when I said that and saying, well, but come on, he's the eighth highest paid tackle in the league. I mean, what is number eight tackle not being paid like a tackle? Which is just idiotic. <laughs> the gap between tackle and guard is not massive, um, but it certainly is within the margin of number two guard to number eight tackle. Like that, that is not a comparison. <laughs> the highest paid tackle in the league is Trent Williams. He's making $10,000 a year more than David Bakhtiari. So Bakhtiari is getting $23 million per year average. Uh, that's second highest in the league. Quentin Nelson is getting paid $20 million a year. Now, I think that there's a noticeable and surprising gap between Quentin Nelson 
and the second highest paid guard who is currently Elton Jenkins or was previously uh, the $16.5 million a year Brandon Scherf. Quentin Nelson is being paid more like a tackle, and I think that's interesting. And I also think it's interesting that Elton Jenkins didn't get more than Quentin Nelson. So, you know, Nelson's contract is a little bit wonky. It it throws the guard money around a little bit in an interesting way. But for Elton, who has played tackle at a very high level and could at any second get pushed back out to tackle, it is strange to me that he did not command the highest paid guard contract in the league. I think that, you know, Trent Williams is making 23 million uh, 10,000 I think that you know you should at least see something like that for Elton compared to Quentin Nelson like whoever is the newest latest greatest um superstar offensive lineman he should be getting the highest paid contract at his position and Elton did not get that now why am I calling <laughs> the people arguing with me on Twitter bozos because you're being argumentative just for the sake of being argumentative and you're missing the point completely. Over the last two years, we have been wringing our hands uh, collectively uh, through podcasts, on social media, on message boards, on Reddit, about how are we going to afford to pay Elton Jenkins top tackle money. We're already giving that to Bakhtiari. We're paying all this money to all these other guys. How are we going to be able to afford to pay Elton left tackle money? Because that's what he's going to demand, and we have to keep him. Okay, top tackle money would be more than $23 million. David Bakhtiari got $23 million. Elton Jenkins, if he was getting paid as a top tackle, he would be making at least very close to $23 million, if not resetting the market. Call it... Laramie Tunsil money at 22. I think minimum Elton should have gotten $20 million if he was being paid to be a starting left tackle. Elton will take snaps at tackle, no question. I think that there is a very real scenario that in a year or less than a year, he is a full-time tackle for us. I think that's totally on the board. But he's getting paid $17 million. We were wringing our hands over how we're going to pay him $22, $23 million a year. We got him for $6 million bucks a year less than that. So this is why it matters. <laughs> what you thought you were going to pay him compared to what you are paying him. So you can't compare the eighth highest paid tackle to the number one or number two paid, uh, highest paid guard and, and you know draw any conclusions about because it's not that big of a difference. You know, you're getting down to a difference of about like 4 million bucks. Okay. When you're looking at the highest paid tackle compared to the eighth highest paid tackle, it's $5 million difference. That's a big deal. When you look at the highest paid tackle compared, compared to actually because Quentin Nelson's contract is a little bit goofy. I'll just say the second highest paid tackle compared to the second highest paid guard. It's a difference of 6 million bucks. So that matters. It matters. Elton got paid as a guard. There are, there are incentives built into his contract for how he can earn more money if he plays as a tackle. I think that's also important because we have had a lot of conversations about can Elton go back to tackle? 
because he was played at right tackle for a bit this year. Yes, he was coming back fresh off an injury. Yes, it's an injury that limits his mobility. But also, he was bad there. So, I'm just saying, we've had conversations about this. He has looked really, really good since they put him back in at left guard. I think you're fine with keeping him there long term if he can't go back out to tackle. But if he can play at tackle at the level we saw him at in 2021, you want to do that because it is one of the very best tackle performances in the league. So this is a really nice contract. Um, I think that that ACL tear cost Elton a ton of money. If he had finished out last year fully healthy and started this year at left tackle and or, or even at right tackle and was playing at the level he was last year, no question in the world he becomes the highest paid tackle in the NFL. More than $23 bucks a year. So he lost a ton of money from that injury, and you hope that he makes a full recovery. You hope for his sake and for the Packers' sake that he um, plays to that high level and at the uh, most valuable position to where he can earn every penny of all these incentives. We want that. We don't want to have to pay him as a guard because that means that he is only meeting expectations. We want him to exceed all expectations and earn every single penny of that bonus money that he can. So uh, Elton Jenkins locked up long-term, really happy to see that and really happy with this contract. Um, he's not going to be very expensive at all. Uh, he's a young, young guy. We locked him up long-term. You feel really, really great about this contract. Now I got a quandary here because my plan for today was to talk about safeties because I think it's the number one biggest issue that we currently have with this roster in terms of looking at the offseason. I want to continue this series of examining players and maybe coaches um, on this uh, on this football team who should or shouldn't be back next year. But I think the Elton Jenkins contract makes David Bakhtiari very interesting to talk about. So I think we're going to do that today, and we'll save the safeties for next week. So here's the important thing to remember about Bakhtiari's contract. At this point in time, he doesn't have any guaranteed money in his contract. Uh, what he has is a $6.7 million base salary for 2023 and a $20.2 million base salary for 2024. I think we can agree it's pretty unlikely they're going to want to pay him $20 million in base salary in 2024. Keep in mind, this is all just extra money that you have to pay out that has not been paid out yet. And we have other bonuses that have not kicked in yet. And we have other dead cap from his contract that um, put it this way. So across the next two years, he has $23.13 million in dead cap. That is money that has already been paid out to him. It's um, it's essentially money that we kicked down the road from 2021 and 2022. So this, we already paid him this money, but now it has to go up against our salary cap. And that money you can't do anything with at all. The only way that you can change it in the slightest, the only way, is if you were to cut him in 2023, then you'd have to pay that $23.13 million against the salary cap all at once in 2023. 
And if you don't cut him and you let him play through the 2024 season, or at least be on the roster into the 2024 season, in other words, uh, just past or post June 1 of 2023, then you can split that $23.13 million uh, almost perfectly in half and pay out 11.56 against the cap in 2023 and 11.56 against the cap in 24. Again, this is not cash in the bank. It's cash against the salary cap. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So your only choices with that $23 bucks is do you put all of it on your 2023 cap or do you put half of it on the 23 cap and half on the 24 cap? That's the only change you can make with that. But so he's got $26.9 million in base salary total for 2023 and 2024, 6.7 of which is for 2023. And he also has a, and that money you can do almost anything with in terms of how you structure it against the cap. For example, you could add a bunch of, of bonus uh, void years after 2024. Like I think up to four more void years you could tack on right now. And so you could, you know, divide that 6.7 for 2023. You can divide that by uh, six years or five years, whatever the max is, it's either five or six and spread it out then. And then it would all become due in 2025 or just the moment you cut him. Uh, and you could spread that $20.2 million for next year, for, or I should say for two years from now, for the 2024 season, you could spread that over five years and 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 pay that out in $4 uh, million increments. Except that uh, four of those would all come due the second you cut him. So you could just pay $4 million for his 2024 season in 2024. And then in 2025, when he's no longer on the roster pay an additional 16 million bucks for the previous year's performance. So those are the things you could do with that. You also could, in theory, if he were to agree to this and he has no incentive to do this, but you could talk him into a pay cut. You can do that with that base salary. If he agrees to it, you could give him a pay cut, but he has to agree to it. You, you are under, you are under contract legally required to pay him the money that you currently are slated to pay him unless he agrees to a pay cut. Now I mentioned, or I, I mentioned and deleted, I forget. I, I've mentioned several times and then deleted <laughs> several times that there is a $9.5 million roster bonus that is due to David Bakhtiari 
in March on March 20th of 2023. So we're three months away from that $9.5 million kicking in. You don't currently owe him that. You will owe him that if he's still on your roster uh, past uh, March 19th. Now, if you were to move on from David the second the season, the, the 2022 season ends, at that point, you would have to pay $23.13 million against the salary cap and then not have Bakhtiari. Or you could keep him for $29 million, just $6 million more, and you would still have him. So at that point, <laughs> you're looking at this and you're saying, I don't know, man. If it's uh, a $6 million difference between having him and not having him, I think having him is worth $6 bucks. like clearly. There's not a lot of financial incentive to move on from him in 2023. Now, one thing that would happen is that if you then um, moved on from him after the 2023 season, then you would have an additional $11.5 million that you would pay in 2024 when he's not here. Or keep him for 33 million bucks. Now this is a much, much bigger deal or much, much bigger difference. So for 2023, it costs you $6 million additional to keep him. If you kept him in 2024, it would cost you an additional 21 and a half million dollars to keep him. And that's not just that he costs 21 and a half. It's that it's 21 and a half extra to keep him compared to move on from him. And that, that is a big difference because he already is going to be expensive. He's going to be $11.5 million if you don't keep him. And then he's $33 million if you do keep him. I think just looking at this from purely only a financial standpoint, what makes the most sense is to bring Bakhtiari back for 2023 and not bring him back in 2024. Now, if he is still playing at a high level and he has finally gotten healthy and you no longer have this, like, sometimes he can play, sometimes he can't, monitoring his snap counts sort of a situation, if he's fully healthy, you could change his contract a little bit, tack on years and void years at the end of, uh, you know, for, for 2025 to spread out that cap it and, and, um, you know, make it less painful that way. You could do that. I think that's something they will, would consider absolutely if he was playing well still at that point. Or even give him an extra year or two at that point. If he's still playing at a high level, again, he is going to be 33 years old in 2024. So you'd be talking about handing more years to a 34-year-old who we have health questions about in uh, at age 30 and 31. He's 31 right now. So that is the situation you're looking at. I don't think they move on from him at the end of this season. I do think there is a well over 50% chance that they move on from him after the 2023 season. Like right now, I would put that at 70 to 80%, maybe higher, maybe higher since he's, since he's old and has been having health issues. I think that there's enough things in there that could go wrong that I think I think it's at least an 80% chance he does not come back for the 2024 season. But if he does come back for the 2024 season, 
I think the only way you do that is by adding at least some void years to his contract that would spread out some of his cap hit from a 2024 into 2025 when he's not on the team anymore, or maybe even give him a little mini one to two year contract extension at that point to try and keep him around a little bit longer. But you're talking about, again, paying a 34 year old quarter uh, 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 tackle at that point. And it's just not saying he can't do it, but very few linemen in the league can do that. You know, get paid at a high level and produce at that age. So I think it's unlikely. So that's the financial standpoint. Let's look at him as a football player for the 2022 season and how we feel about bringing him back for next year and possibly the year after. So I compared Bakhtiari's 2020 season, which for the record was his uh, highest graded season of his career, but also the last time that we had him healthy. Compared his 2020 season to his 2022 season. And one thing that you'll see is that he had a slow start to this season and then kind of got back on track. Um, but I want to compare what on track looks like. So 2020, he played three more games than he has currently played in 2022. Well, we might revisit this in the offseason and see how he finished this season out. But in 2020, he played an average of 63 snaps per game. He's played 53 snaps per game in 2022. So not only is it a smaller sample size in terms of games, but he's also playing fewer snaps per game. So again, a little bit of a smaller sample size. His PFF grade in 2020 was a 91.8. So his overall season grade was elite. In 2022, his overall season grade is 82.1. Still nothing to sneeze at. It's it's definitely good. It is well above average. It is is great, in fact. Um, it is a step down, and some of that does have to do with the slow start he had to this season. And before we get any further into stats, I did, just out of curiosity, I wanted to see um how the number of games that he had in a certain uh grade range compared to 2020 last time we saw him healthy so he doesn't have any like really horrific games this season his worst game of the season was week 4 against New England he played 70 snaps probably because they went into overtime um 70 snaps uh, against New England at left tackle. He had a 55.4 overall grade. His run blocking was poor. He had a 49.6 run blocking grade in that game. He allowed one pressure, and that pressure was a hurry. He was also penalized once in that game. Now, Yash Nyman um, and Zach Tom and Elton Jenkins and everybody else we have played at tackle have had much worse games than that. That's Bakhtiari's worst game of the season. Nothing to sneeze at. 55.4 grade in the worst game of the season for him. Second game back from his injury. Okay. And of course, you know, one thing that is, um, you can't leave out is that he has missed other games this season just because he just wasn't able to play. And I'm not talking about the, um, uh, appendectomy he had. I mean, he, he has had, he had a game in week uh, seven against Washington that Zach Tom had had to play instead because Bakhtiari just was not able to go. He just wasn't fully recovered yet from the uh, Jets game. So breaking this down 
Uh, his run blocking grade has always been lower than his pass blocking grade. He was an 86.9 in 2020. I mean, that's a fantastic grade, but he was a 91.6 in pass pro. So he's a much, has always been a much better pass blocker than a run blocker. Still quite good as a run blocker. That gap is substantially bigger this year. He's got a 70, he has an 86.4 pass blocking grade and a 74.6 run blocking grade. So you're talking about a, a difference of about 12 points this year between those two. And he had a difference of, let's call it four and a half points in 2020. It's just something to note, but an 86.4 pass blocking grade on the season from Bakhtiari. You're not mad about that at all. In 2020, he allowed one sack on the whole season. So far this year, he's at zero sacks on the season. So pretty good. In terms of total pressures, he had nine pressures given up in 2020, eight so far in 2022 in three fewer games. So the math on that is uh, 0.75 pressures per game in 2020 and 0.89 pressures per game in 2022. Pretty marginal difference, but it, it, a little bit of a difference. And... um. You know, if you're wondering if that just came from his not so great games in the beginning of the season, not really. Um, so his pressures per game over the nine weeks he's played have been one, 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 zero, two, zero, two, zero. So he's averaged out at, um, one pressure per game all season, uh, plus one zero in there is basically what it has worked out to. Um, so not, it's not like he was playing worse before and now he's playing better. If anything, he was, uh, consistently giving up one per game for the first month. And then since then is kind of hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, but his cold is only two pressures a game, which, you know, you're not going to be furious about that. It's not great. Um, but it's, I mean, other guys on this offensive line do a lot worse than that. I was also curious because penalties have always kind of been a problem for Bakhtiari. Um, he draws, it seems like every year he draws a handful of uh, false starts and not a lot of holds, but certainly false starts seem like they are a problem for Bakhtiari at times. He had four total penalties in 2020, and then um, he's at four total penalties on the season for 2022. He's kind of, so far this year, been who he's always been if at this point you know just looking on a per game basis you're like okay he's slightly worse this year but i mean it makes a lot of sense <laughs> um i think you can cut a little bit of slack coming back from an acl that he is like you know 10 percent worse than he was in the worst year of his or i mean the best year of his, his career sorry so he's at you know 90 of what he was in his best season ever i think you're okay with that now, I did break it down, like I said, into how many games he had in any given range of grade. So, uh, that's where I got sidetracked. So he has not, he's not had any really horrific games this season. His worst graded game was a 55.4 against the Patriots, and he was still okay in that game. He had one other game below the 60. Uh, point zero mark, which would be the uh, delineating line 
uh, you know, where you would say 60 is average. So anything below 60 is below average. So he said two below average games this season. He had zero below average games in 2020. And it is worth just pointing out because before I looked at the grades, I just created a little table for myself and I had a, a category for just uh, horrid games. And I was expecting somewhere in these two years, I would find a game that was like a 30 or a 40 grade. No, zero horrid games for either year. So I had to just delete that column and I was happy to do so. He had one average grade in the 60s in 2020. He said two average graded games in 2022. So this is where you see a little bit of a difference from 2020 to 2022. And that is the uh, consistency. So he has four games total that are below a 70. And 70 is where you start calling people good. So this year he's had four games below a 70. In 2020, he had one game below a 70. And he played three more games. So that is worth pointing out. I think this is the first time uh, looking at any of the comparisons between these two years other than the drop-off in his run-blocking grade of 86.9 in 2020 to 74.6 in 22, where you feel like there's any substantial difference. And I'm, again, I'm not even saying that this is anything to be con- concerned about. I'm just highlighting how good he has been this year and how freakishly good he was in 2020. So he had seven games in the 70s in 2020. He said three games in the 70s in 2022. And uh, all three of those games have come in the last three weeks of the season. Or not the last three weeks of the season, the last three games he's played. Because he hasn't played since week 12 against the Eagles. So weeks 10, 11, 12, he had a 74, 77, and 70 grade. Um, so it's kind of, uh, you know, jumps up a little bit and then jumps back down. Not really any trend there. Um, and then he had his, his appendectomy. And so we're not going to ding him for having an appendix that need to be removed. That's not a football thing. And it's nothing that concerns you about going forward in the future. You know, there certainly are non-football injuries or illnesses that you would be, you know, have concern about him for the future. Nothing like that here. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe you expect to see a little bit of a dip the next game he comes back. If, you know, that he's still recovering from the surgery to have his appendix removed. And so he doesn't feel quite himself for the next one or two games that he plays. Certainly could see that. And I would, um, I would hope that I would remember that in years in the future when I'm looking back at this and going, well, why, why did he play not great in, you know, uh, week 17 of the 2022 season? Oh yeah. It's cause he had that uh, appendix taken out. Okay. 2020, he had three games in the eighties, 2022. He said two games so far. And then he had one game in the nineties in 2020. And that was, uh, let me see here. Actually, let me do the eighties real quick. Two games in 2022. This is um, week six against the Jets. He had an 85.2 grade and 89 passing or pass blocking grade. And he played 69 snaps in that game. That was his uh, second highest snap count of the entire season. Um, He allowed one hurry and he had one penalty, Uh, but a fantastic game for him. And then the next week against Buffalo played the best game of the season for him. 88.8 grade. Zero pressures, zero penalties, played 60, uh, 66 snaps, fantastic work. And then his run blocking grade was the higher one that week, which is interesting. 87.8 run blocking grade, 82.5 pass blocking grade. 
and they break it down. Uh, he had 29 run blocking snaps, 37 pass blocking snaps. So pretty substantial body of work for run blocking. And he blocked his butt off. It was fantastic. And then the, the following week um, was a dip for him. This was one of the worst games of the season for him. 65.5 grade against Detroit. So just throw that in there that um, he did have a dip after that two-game stretch of being in the high 80s. <clears throat> so looking at the uh, 90s, because there's no 90 games in 2020, his one uh, 90 point or 91.2 grade performance came at Detroit in week 14 of the 2020 season. Now, one thing you might be curious about, because I'm curious about it is how did he play in the one game of the 2021 season that he played, which was the Detroit game. He played 27 offensive snaps in that game. Uh, he was listed as a starter, seven run blocking snaps. He earned a 75.4 run blocking grade. 20 pass blocking snaps. He earned a 72.7 pass blocking grade, zero pressures, zero penalties. Um, so I don't think that that game tells us anything, but I still wondered about it. And so it was interesting to me. So from a football standpoint, there's only one thing that can, that concerns you about Bakhtiari other than just him finally hitting an age wall and just dropping off because that certainly happens to, Every player at some point. And he is uh, 31 years old right now. He turned 31 in September. So he'll be 32 next year. That's not super old for an offensive lineman. He's still, you know, uh, he's on the wrong side of 30, but uh, the right side of, you know, 33. How's that? <laughs> Are you curious what the age limit is for tackles? I was curious. Um, I don't have a quick and easy way to just look up just the ages, but I can filter the highest graded um, offensive linemen by the year they were drafted. So we'll use that as an easy shorthand. First of all, um, the oldest offensive tackle in the NFL is Jason Peters. He was drafted in 2004. He is 41. He's about to turn 41 years old in January. Holy crap. 41-year-old offensive lineman still doing a good job. He's allowed one sack, uh, five pressures, um, zero penalties on the season. What a stud. Uh, second oldest would be Dwayne Brown for the Jets. Um, he's doing just okay. Good, not great. He has allowed one sack, three hits, 15 hurries, 19 pressures, has been penalized five times. Um, so that's Dwayne Brown for you. Now, if you're going to go further, so he, uh, Dwayne Brown was drafted in 2008. So let's see, 2010, you add Trent Williams. Trent Williams is still the best tackle in football. It's the second year in a row that his um, uh, uh, PFF grade, his overall PF grade uh, for the season is, no, sorry, third year in a row that his overall PFF grade has been in the 90s, he was a 91.9 in 2020, a 96.6 in 2021, and a 93.8. The guy will not die, and it just makes me so mad that he plays for San Francisco. I hate it. Um, uh, let's see here. 2011, you can add Marcus Cannon and Tyron Smith. Neither of them are having a good year. 
2012, you add Ty Nasecki, Kelvin Beecham, Riley Reef, Mike Remmers, Dennis Kelly. He's still in the league. Uh, he's playing for the Colts again this year. And then 2013, you add Teron Armstead, who is having a decent year. Uh, you're you're up to five guys at this point so far, and and this includes David Bakhtiari, uh, who was drafted in 2013. Um, so Bakhtiari is the third highest graded off uh, uh, tackle drafted uh, as late as 2013. So it's uh, Lane Johnson. Is number two, David Bakhtiari, number three, Teron Armstead, number four, Tyna Secchi, number five, Kelvin Beecham, number six, Riley Reef, number seven, Jason Peters, number eight, and you're right right about uh Marcus Cannon at number nine is is about the lowest guy that is playing well enough that you want him on your team. Everybody else is, has seemed to have dropped off. So this is a little bit concerning here. You're looking at just a couple years left for Bakhtiari compared to when anybody else drops off. Cause we're at 2013 and we have um, 15 tackles in the entire NFL. And this does not have a minimum snap count either. It's not like just starters. This is 15 total tackles in the NFL drafted before the 2014 season. That's not a lot. And of that list, you really are looking at five guys who are playing really good football, and then three more, which includes 41-year-old Jason Peters, who are playing decent football, like you still want them as a starter. Um, but uh, So that's not great. It's not great. I, th- I, I would say, just looking at the rest of the league here, I mean, really, it's unrealistic to think that he'll be good next year, just mathematically. Now, it's a little bit different when you watch him play and you think, can he do this again next year? But just compared to everybody else aging out and his injuries, I think mathematically it's not rational to assume he'll be good again next year. I think he will. Um, But, you know, we football fans are not entirely rational. I think you're looking at one, maybe two more years of good football play from Bakhtiari just based on his age. Certainly things he can do to preserve and prolong that. Um, you know, it seems like David really works hard to keep his body in good shape. That, that helps. But just the, the, the odds and mother nature are stacked against him at his age compared to the rest of the offensive tackles out there, you should not expect him to be playing at this level for more than one to two years, I would say at the most. I think three years feels pretty unrealistic. And certainly there are plenty of people this year talking about, you know, is 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 he done? Like, is, does this have to be his last season? I don't think so. I think he could come back next year, no problem. Um, two years, I would not feel great about committing. Now, what about the other guys on your roster? Other options that you have instead of Bakhtiari? Because certainly Elton Jenkins factors into that equation. And I think that the second you move on from Bakhtiari, you are immediately having a big conversation about Elton Jenkins as a tackle. And I mean that in terms of people outside the organization. You have to have that conversation internally before you move on from Bakhtiari. But... Elton Jenkins as a tackle. 
We haven't really ever seen him be good at right tackle. If he could be good at right tackle, that solves a lot of problems. Because I like Zach Tom. I think Zach Tom is best suited to be a left tackle. I think he is second best suited to be a left guard. Just the kind of player he is. He's a finesse player. Um, he's not big. He's no, certainly no bruiser in, you know, the, the, uh, run blocking. Um, his run blocking grade is a 55.5. His pass blocking grade is an 80.9. That's what you'd expect from the type of player that he is. You'd expect to see that big of a disparity. I think he's, is really well suited to be a left tackle for us going forward. Um, you know, he certainly has experience at center. I think he could be a very good center. I think you have a number of guys who could be good centers. Josh Myers, not the biggest fan in the world of him, um, but the Packers like him at center. Elton Jenkins has been a really good center in the past. You got three guys who I think you can consider at center. I think you have, right now, looking at guys who could play left tackle, you, you do have Yash. I'd rather have Yash at right tackle because I don't think that he is one of our best offensive linemen. He's not one of our, say, three best offensive linemen. Is he one of the five best? Well, Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Zach Tom, John Runyon. It pre- Zach Tom, or, uh, uh, Yash Nyman probably is one of your five best offensive linemen. Sure, yes. Um, if Elton can play right tackle, and you have Zach Tom at left tackle... That really simplifies things a lot. Alternatively, Elton stays inside at left guard. Zach Tom is at left tackle. Yash Nyman stays at right tackle. That's something else you could work with. But I think you have four guys on your roster right now that you feel okay about as a long-term option to be trying to work out for left tackle. Um, David Bakhtiari, I think has the highest floor. He's certainly the guy you would prefer to have at left tackle, all else being equal, but the age and the contract, I think prohibit him from being here very long. Elton Jenkins, I think would be my, my second pick for left tackle. That's where he has graded out the highest in the past. Um, I think once he is fully healthy from his ACL tear, I think you feel fine about putting him back at left tackle. The downside is I'm not sure where you put Zach Tom if you don't put him at left tackle. You could put him at left guard, and I think he'd be good at left guard, but not as good as he could be at left tackle. <clears throat> but again, you know he's a small guy. You have some concerns about him, um, even if you like him a lot. Uh, you know, do you put him in at left guard where it's a little bit lower stakes, you know, le- less important position than? left tackle. Cause I think between the two guys, Elton Jenkins is the more talented football player and maybe the more talented left tackle. That's something that you'd want to monitor going forward. Uh, but Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom, I really want those guys to anchor down the left side of the line over trying to prioritize, you know, John Runyon staying at left guard. I, I don't care about John Runyon. I, I like him, but I don't care enough about having him at left guard, play him at right guard, don't play him at all if you don't have to. You know, he, he's fine. I'm just, I'm not going to shuffle anybody else on the offensive line because of John Runyon. I will stick John Runyon at either of the guard spots that I can. And if he plays well, great. If he doesn't, you can replace a guard. Much easier than you replace, replace a tackle. 
I just he's John Runyon is just less important to me because he's a a good player but not an elite player and he doesn't offer any versatility. I don't feel like I want to put him at center and you can't put him at tackle, I don't think. So I'm just not moving anybody for him. Josh Myers I would happily move. I don't know, I think he could be fine at guard, right guard. Um I've asked coach Hahn his thoughts about that before. And he's basically said, like, well, you know, nothing's as simple as just, yeah, move this guy over. But could he do something at right guard? I, I think he could be fine at right guard. So Elton, Zach Tom, your options at left tackle, maybe uh, uh, Yash Nyman. So you got three guys there plus Bakhtiari. I think you feel okay about the future of left tackle. Right tackle maybe a little bit more of a question mark. Um a lot of folks have expressed concern about whether we can afford to keep Yash Nyman. I can't get there at all. I'm just, I can't, you can't paint a picture to me where we lose Yash Nyman over a money issue. Like he's a lot of, a lot of fans who like Yash Nyman. And I certainly like him, like him so much that they convince themselves that other teams around the league are salivating over Yash and really want him to come be a starter for them. I just don't think that's the situation. I think Yash is a good player. I think you can absolutely afford to pay him the amount of money that it would take to keep him. And you have um, options with him because he's, I think he's a restricted free agent. So um, there, there's only so much he can do in terms of trying to get more money elsewhere. So, um, you know, looking at your tackle options, I think you feel in a good spot about the tackles. Um, less good about right tackle than about left tackle. And I don't know that we've really had a, you know, a right tackle since we lost Brian Balaga. You know, you had whatever Billy Turner had at times, although he wasn't always there. Um, Elton Jenkins didn't look good at right tackle. I would be open to that experiment again with him fully healthy. But it has never been something ever that I have just assumed would work to put him at right tackle just because he has been good at other positions. I've never assumed, well, he automatically will be able to be a success at right tackle. Can he? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, He just has not shown it to us yet. And so for that reason, right tackle is a bit of a question mark for me. And again, if Elton can be a really, really good right tackle, that solves all your problems in terms of where to stick people without Bakhtiari. So, and then you're, yeah, I think your, your plan B probably is Yash nine minute right tackle. So, um, my biggest beef with Yash is I, he's not a good run blocker and you really want your right tackle to be a good run blocker. This is why I've always said Yash is a better left tackle than he is a right tackle. Um, but I don't think he's your best option at left tackle. I think he's your third or fourth best option at left tackle. The other thing is the penalties. He's been penalized nine times this season, so he's averaging one penalty per game. That's concerning to me, very concerning. Um, and that's kind of always been a thing for him. So that's that's just something that can't continue. You can't be getting one holding call, uh, holding call per game from the same guy like that. That hamstrings your offense way too frequently. So. But yeah, going forward, I think I think you maybe have more questions about guard than you do about tackle. 
Um, and part of that is due to some of your guards that you've taken swings at not really panning out. You know, Royce Newman has not been good. Sean Ryan has never gotten, gotten on the field. We have no idea what he can possibly do. Jake Hansen, a horrible football player who should not be in the NFL. I don't understand why we still have him on our team. I don't get it. And then center, you know, they're, they're still trying to make Josh Myers work. I think he's been underwhelming. Uh, I would like to see a lot better play out of Josh Myers. I think if you don't see better play out of him, I think Goody considers the idea of shuffling some stuff around and trying to find a better combination of somebody at center and Myers at some other position or whatever. So I, I think they would really like to make it work, but I don't think that he's been playing at the level that you need in order to continue doing this long term. You know, give him some more time to work things out, try some other things with him in practice, but some stuff you got to figure out there. So that's your uh, offensive line look. Uh, Bakhtiari and Yash are really the only guys um, that I think you have questions about whether they'll be back for the 2023 seasons. And my answer is I think they're both back. I do. But I also think it's Bakhtiari's last year, you know, with like a 80% certainty that it's his last year. Maybe he comes back for 2024. If he plays at an elite level again in 2023, it doesn't really matter what it's going to cost to keep him. You keep him. Um, but you know, the, the odds are good that his play dips a bit next year, just due to his age. It would be weird if his play didn't dip. Um, and then just looking at, looking at the money, even if it doesn't dip, there is a just a really serious conversation you got to have about playing time for young guys, um, about you know what the talent drop off is going to be like from Bakhtiari to whoever replaces him. And you know what? If that is Elton Jenkins at the level he was playing in twenty twenty one, that is just not a drop off. <laughs> or if Zach Tom, you know, really finishes um, this season out strong and then plays his butt off next year. Maybe you are in a situation where you're like, look, we got two tackles we really like. We can't be paying over 30 million bucks for a third tackle, no matter how good he is. Um, and especially at that age, just not a, a risk we can take. So there you go. That's how the Elton Jenkins uh, contract affects the whole thing. Uh, it's the breakdown of what you think we have in Elton long or uh, Bakhtiari long term. Overall, I think this is a good spot for the Packers to be in. The fact that Elton Jenkins um, panned out and became such a hit. And then you were still able to sign him to the contract that you did. This sets you up really nicely for the future. This is one of the this is one of the 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 times in the last few years where I have felt the best about the future of the offensive line position. I think that they have done a good job getting us to where we are. So um, certainly some stuff that you'd like to take back from the past, um, some doers you like to have, but man. When you look at where we are right now compared to where we've been over the last couple of years and the questions we had, man, you got to feel good. So uh, that's it. I'm going to get out of here. You guys have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you all next week. Goodbye.